Welcome into NBA Sound System. My name is Gil McGregor, joined by my guy, Kyle Irving. Kyle, what's up, man? I'm good, man. It's good to be back out here. But uh, before we get going, I got to give you a shout out. Happy early birthday, man. Oh, man. <laughs> I appreciate that. This is actually probably going to go live on uh, my birthday. So here I am, tw- year 29. I can't think of a player. Maybe it's Alondo Tucker year uh, for me. That's a throwback <laughs> name for, for everybody. Uh, Al- Alondo Tucker year last year, the 20. So I'm excited. I appreciate that, Kyle. Um, I I'd always enjoy my birthday because it's, it's, it's during the playoffs. So there's a lot uh, of stuff going on in the playoffs. It's a good time of the year. The weather's not too hot if, you, if you're down in the south. Uh, so it's good. So I appreciate that i mean i cannot think of really anybody else that i could throw on the spot like that and you can give me an nba player that rocked the jersey number 29 i probably would have went like Legarrette blunt year or something like that <laughs> like an nfl player you know a running back that usually rocks that number because that's you know something normal but the fact that you come up with a basketball player that wore number 29 that fast i don't know who else would be capable of doing that there you go. You set me up for that. So there you go. Have, having you back on here is a, is a good is a good birthday gift. Uh, so we have plenty of stuff to talk about here, especially around the league. A lot of stuff going on in the playoffs. I know we previewed a few uh, conference semifinal series last week, so we have a more uh, a few to touch on. But a big housekeeping note: last week Scott and I were here talking about the Raptors as if that you know MAU Doka was their top uh, candidate to hire after firing Nick Nurse. We finished recording. And just how it works a few hours later, uh, MA Udoka gets hired by the Houston Rockets. So I guess the Raptors are back to square one. Um, I, I posed two questions to you. Um, first of all, what do you think about MA Udoka in Houston? They're going to get a top four pick in the draft, most likely Jabari Smith, Jalen Green, a lot of talent down there. But now where do the Raptors go from here? Uh, I know they've been linked to Becky Hammond. A lot of assistants on that staff have been linked. Um, but what kind of coach should the Raptors hire? I think first to answer, you know, the Ime Udoka question, and this is obviously speaking strictly from, you know, an on-court perspective because mm-hmm. we still don't really know much about the off-court stuff. But right. I think it's a great hire by Houston because the biggest thing that all the Celtics players talked about with Ime Udoka was accountability. And mm-hmm. it feels like with that young Rockets roster, uh, you know, a lot of talented young pieces and guys like Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr., uh, Alperen Sengun, uh, Jabari Smith Jr., the number two overall pick last year. You know, the pieces are there. Uh, it just doesn't really feel like they had kind of that voice that everybody was really tuning into and could kind of lean on. And it does feel like Ime Yudoka could be that type of guy that could get the most out of those players and, and really start turning them into you know a formidable team uh, when you add in potentially a top three pick this year. And then uh, in terms of the Raptors, you know, obviously that's a coach that probably would have been a great hire for mm-hmm. Toronto as well. Um, but the list of names that we saw. Some interesting, some interesting names on there. Like you said, Becky Hammond is one. Uh, Kenny Atkinson is another one mm-hmm. who, you know, he passed up that Hornets job last year, but I think he would be a great fit for this Raptors team. And then I also like the idea that they're also, you know, considering hiring in-house with uh, interviews with guys like Adrian Griffin, for example, who has been, you know, a prominent voice in that locker room since 2019. Mm-hmm. So even though the Raptors missed out on Ime Udoka, I really like the list of candidates they had out there. And I do feel like that is one of the most enticing jobs on the market this offseason. Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, just, just our look, we'll only talk about this and then they'll hire somebody when we finish uh, recording. But if not, I do think I agree with you. Um, you know, you talk about a guy who's on their staff, like Adrian Griffin. Um, I know Earl Watson's been linked to the job as well. He didn't have the greatest track record when he was leading uh, the Suns, but he did help Devin Booker get 70 points. Um, that being said, I, I do think a lot of it will depend on 
the direction that they opt to go with with this roster. I know there are a lot of questions that need to be answered around Fred Van Vliet, around Gary Trent Jr., around OG Ananobi. Um, so this could be a team that's kind of not starting from square one, but retooling and developing around Scotty Barnes and maybe keeping you know him and, and Pascal Siakam being the future guys. Or they want to just maximize the, the, the talent of what they have and kind of just change things a little bit, but be – Still a veteran team with high expectations. I thought it was interesting. M.A. Udo kind of talked about, um, you know, I think when you go to a, a cleaner slate like that Houston situation, there's a higher ceiling maybe. Uh, but I think that's not to say anything bad about the Raptors. I think that they have an opportunity to really have a transformative summer, but it will depend on the moves they make and the way that they draft. So I do think it's going to be interesting to see, do you go with a guy who raises your team's floor or do you go with a ceiling raiser, a guy who is really focused on the development of the young guys and really, really putting it all, all the chips in on Scotty Barnes um, being the franchise player moving forward? Yeah, and I think that is something that will be interesting to see when they, you know, effectively do make a hire this offseason. Mm-hmm. You know, who they hire as their head coach could tell us a lot about the direction the Toronto Raptors may head in. And, you know, Masai um, Ujiri, during his exit uh, season-ending press conference this year, he did talk about how they plan on taking their time with this hiring process, but they want to make sure they have somebody in place ahead of the NBA draft mm-hmm. because, you know, the Raptors could potentially have a top-10 pick. So I, I do think that the hiring that they make will kind of give us a little bit of a hint and kind of tease a little bit of what they might do this offseason. Yeah, yeah. For and for timing purposes, we're recording this on May first. My birthday's May second, and Paul George and, and The Rock. Um, shout out to them as well. Uh, but then the draft lottery is in a few weeks, so we'll know more about where the Raptors are selecting. Um, and obviously that draft process, bringing guys in Toronto for workouts, it's going to be key uh, to have an identity uh, for a team. So hiring a coach is really important as far as that goes. So we'll see. Um, two things, an easy segue. I know he said we're going to talk about the playoffs. Let me talk about coaching hires and what that does. We just saw what Mike Brown was able to do in Sacramento. He just taught Kenny Atkinson. He's still the lead assistant coach in Golden State. Um, it's a fantastic seven game series, uh, between the Warriors and Kings. Um, I'm, I'm not really surprised at, at how it turned out. I did think the Warriors were going to kind of show that championship DNA and come out on top. I thought they were going to do it in six games, but it turns out we get a legendary performance from Steph Curry, 35 years old, first person to ever score 50 points in a game seven in NBA history, did it uh, hitting seven triples, which tied a record set by Grant Williams last year. Uh, for those out there, seven for 18, which is not a weird, they were both seven for 18 from three. Um, but Another Pantheon performance from Steph Curry um, really willed that that Warriors team to victory. Um, I, I said this on Twitter. They won 11 road games all season. Then they won two in a span of five days in a really tough environment. So what can we say about Steph Curry, what he's doing at this stage in his career um, and really willing this Warriors team and keeping their title defense alive? There's plenty we can say about Steph Curry, but before we get to Steph, we got to give Kevon Looney a shout out because, man, if Steph didn't go for 50, that was going to be the Kevon Looney game. I mean, he had 21 rebounds. There was one point where he had the same amount of offensive rebounds as the entire Kings team. He was working all of them on the glass. It felt like there were moments where the ball was just dropping into his hands no matter where he was on the offensive end. Um, You know, he had, you know, kind of a transcendent performance that really sparked that run. And obviously Curry was, you know, the heartbeat that kept him going the entire game. And it was one of those games where, you know, it just felt like Steph had magic on his, you know, magic on his hands. Like every single time he put the, put a shot up, the ball was fine in the bottom of the net. Even when it came to like driving lanes, you know, like crafty finger rolls and stuff like we've seen from him around the rim so many times. Um, it really was a special performance. It's something that, you know, we've learned to expect from Stephen Curry. 
Uh, game seven on the road, like you said, 50 points. Um, you know, he was absolutely incredible. It was one of the best Stephen Curry playoff performances we have ever seen at mm-hmm. any level, not just, you know, even though it's a first round game, it seems like it seems ridiculous to say that considering how often he's played in the finals. I think that this rivals some of his greatest finals performances, even going back to, you know, the game against or the game in Boston last year in the mm-hmm. finals. Um, but, you know, with his teams back against the wall and essentially potentially the dynasty on the line, who else but Stephen Curry to step up? Yeah, I think that I put it up there uh, right behind that 43 points. I think it was last year, game four in Boston, where they were facing, you know, falling down 3-1 and really, um, you know, heard uh, it was Al Horford that went on J.J. Reddick's podcast earlier in the year and said that, like, when Steph did that for the Warriors, it just felt like there was a relief over that team and, and that they knew that they were going to be all right because he wasn't going to let them fail. And I think that that's when you start talking about how special Steph Curry is. We don't talk about that part of it so much because there's so many things that he does that we've never seen before. Um, you know, the way that he seemingly just runs around the floor and then just gets set and hits his jumpers, unquestionably the greatest shooter we've ever seen. But, you know, I think it's a reminder that it's much more than that shooting. And there's been some reporting uh, coming from The Athletic and Draymond Green went on this podcast and talked about how Steph just gave a, a moving speech uh, to the team and was like, look, if you believe I got us, I'm not going to let us lose this game. I know it's kind of like, you know, uh, the, the stuff of legends, but it does add to, to that. And, and I don't know. And, and I don't think that because it was game seven in the opening round, we should talk down that performance at all. I think that that just, again, speaks to um, Steph Curry and the the lure uh, of, of who he is or, or the lore of, of Steph Curry and, and what he means to this Warriors dynasty. Um, and now it's it's interesting to see what happens going forward. Yeah, there was part of me that, you know, when I read that script, the, the I call it a script because it actually feels like a script. <laughs> right. The blurb from The Athletic Online, a lot of people were like, what in the Disney world is this? And it did kind of feel that way, like the way that it, it was did. teed up. But I mean, it is cool, though. I mean, obviously, you know, if that if that's really how it went down, Stephen Curry kind of gave that, you know, almost get on my back type speech and then went out and delivered the first 50 point performance in NBA history. That's not really anything to laugh at, even though I did find myself laughing at it when I <laughs> when I did read it originally. But, you know, and now he sets up. And this is, you know, another segue for us here. But now he sets up another, you know, rendition of him versus LeBron James in the NBA playoffs. And this one is going to look a lot different than any of the other ones we've ever seen. I can't wait for it. Yeah, I was going to say this is like round five or round five and a half if you want to talk about that play in tournament game from uh, 2021. But, you know, you you see the four finals matchups and they were all interesting, you know. 2015 was the year where Kevin Love was already out. Kyrie goes down in game one. 2016, we know how that ha- happened with the 3-1 comeback for the Cavs. One of the greatest finals I've, I've ever watched. And then Kevin Durant comes and joins the party for the last two years of that. And then LeBron goes west. We think we'll see it again, and we kind of take it for granted. And then it kind of comes um, in an unexpected manner, I, I think. You know, you talk about um, the fact that the, this, this Laker team is a seven seed. They played great basketball after the All-Star break, after the trade deadline, all of that. Um, they win their first-round series. And, and I was a little confused about what to make of this Lakers team because they were up and down a little bit. The, the loss to the jawless Grizzlies and Xavier Tillman had a game and then, you know, again, losing that road game. And I think it's it's important to remember the Memphis Grizzlies are a very good home team, but they made a statement winning by 40 in, in game six and then took the Warriors seven games. But as the six seed, we now have six versus seven uh, in the first round. And, and these teams are flawed. I think that's why they have the seeding that they have. But it kind of feels like and, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong or, or, or tell me how you've assessed it. But it feels like this is kind of back to that. 
2015 level if the Cavs were fully healthy. Where like the the deck seems like they're they're pretty stacked, stacked pretty evenly um, for for this rendition or this iteration of LeBron versus Steph. It does feel that way. Um, I think that you know we see what Steph did on Sunday, and mm-hmm. recency bias will lead us or lead a lot of people to pick the Warriors in this series. Um, when the reality is, I think the Lakers have as good of a shot at winning this mm-hmm. series as the Warriors do. And I think that the part that for the Lakers that worries me is just how reliant they are on Anthony Davis to show up every single game. Like right. Anthony Davis needs to be who Anthony Davis is when he's at his best. And we, we all know that's not always the case. He does not always show up as that version. And, you know, Kevon Looney was awesome in the first round. You know, Draymond Green is going to try and get under his skin and he really needs to perform the ways that we saw him play in let's call it what four out of the six games that they played yeah. in, the ra- in the last round. You have two games that, you know, were so, so, but on top of that as well, you know, LeBron James at times in the first round really looked like he was on cruise control. And yeah. Scott and I talked about it a little bit this morning, but is the reality of it just that this is the version of LeBron James that we have now, uh, you know, this long into his career, this many postseason games under his belt, this many minutes right. under his belt. Is he not going to be the world beater and just, you know, the absolute dominant playoff performer that we've seen in the past, but still good enough to get the Lakers over the hump or, Alternatively, was he saving himself a little bit for when it matters a little bit more, uh, knowing that, you know, play with your food has kind of been a theme in the first round of the playoffs, <laughs> knowing that the Lakers could play with their food a little bit with that Grizzlies team and, and kind of get ready for this next round. Yeah, to start with Anthony Davis, it is baffling because for a player of his caliber, for a player that we almost really try to, 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 to thrust into that top 15, top 10 range, the inconsistency is, is something that should be held against them. You know, when, when we're ranking these things, right? It's like kind of unacceptable for us to say like, Hey, this guy has been the second best player on a championship team three years ago. We know he's in and out of the lineup with his injury issues, this, that, and the third. But again, you know, when it comes down to it and, and we rank him and he's ranked in the top 10 or top 15 among players in the NBA, I think the variance of, you know, when AD is on and AD is AD and when he's not, I think it's it's greater than any other all NBA all star caliber player in this league, and honestly, kind of by a wide margin. We talked about somehow they the, the Lakers managed to win when AD had you know twelve points in that in that game uh, when LeBron had some late game heroics. Uh, so I think that that's going to be interesting to see because historically he has had some success against this Warriors team. He is a handful to deal with because of how talented he is when engaged but that's a a huge thing we're gonna see um on the lebron front i think it's so interesting because two things with him i think that we are spoiled you know by how well by how well he's playing in year 20 and thinking about just you know the injury that he had two months ago right i i'm curious the residual effects of that if he's coming if he came back you know as early as he could come back and it's limiting him but he's not going to let on and say that it's limiting him but that's probably the way uh why he's been limited as far as like picking his spots and really trying to work smarter but now that they are um kind of on the cusp of doing something and they've gotten out of the first round and maybe maybe he's healing maybe he can't make it any worse he went to see the LeBron James of feet it's gotten him to where he is um but the other thing with him is his jump shot right like he shot the ball I think he was three for eight in game one against the Grizzlies and two for five in, in, in game six in the closeout game. But in the middle, he was just terrible. 
from the perimeter. And thinking about if LeBron is hitting his jumper, that opens things up a little more. It forces teams to guard him a little bit differently. I know the Grizzlies did a, a great job. Jaron Jackson Jr. was amazing, incredible with his help side defense. That's the reason he was Defensive Player of the Year. And Dylan Brooks, for all he did and all the trash that he was able to back up, is a physical defender. He's a big guy. So going into this series, seeing you know maybe if LeBron can get that jumper falling a little bit more, shoot better than whatever he shot – in that series, I think it'll be uh, big on them. And then we look at it, who's going to step up for either team? You know, you have your Austin Reeves, Rui Hachimura, D'Angelo Russell, Dennis Schroeder. And on the other side, Clay Thompson struggled in that game six, which we won't ever talk about because Steph had 50. I think he was four for 19 uh, in that game. But, you know, what, what Draymond Green does and, and bringing the intangibles that he brings, Andrew Wiggins continuing to get back in form. And, and obviously Jordan Poole is another guy who we don't know. So a lot of question marks there. And I know I mentioned these teams um, you know, have their flaws, but also they just have such high ceilings because of the guys that are leading those teams. I, I've seen some people say that they feel like who wins this series is going to represent the West. I feel like that's getting too far ahead of themselves. What do you think about these two teams as they compare to what we've seen from the Suns and Nuggets? I think that is getting way too far ahead of themselves. Yeah. <laughs> if, you know, wh- whoever that was that said that, that is getting way too far ahead of yourself because I still think that, you know, I would argue that the two best teams in the West are the two teams in the other matchup. I think, yeah. like we said, as good as, you know, these Warriors and Lakers teams are and can be when they are at their best. And, you know, you never want to bet against Steph Curry in a playoff series. You never want to bet against LeBron James in a playoff series. But the reality is when we're talking about teams as a whole, I would say both the Suns and Nuggets are more complete teams than both the Warriors and the Lakers. You know, the Nuggets particularly have been incredible. And Nikola Jokic, who has been good in the playoffs, but hasn't had to put up these monster numbers scoring, like that just goes to show how well-balanced this team is. And, you know, I said it over the weekend, and I've I've been saying it for a little bit now. We did it, uh, or I said it uh, in our overreactions piece that we published on the Sporting News, but Jamal Murray is the biggest X factor in the entire NBA playoffs. When he's shooting the ball the way that he did in game one against the Suns, that is the most dangerous team in the Mm -hmm. NBA and you know Mm -hmm. they have other contributors that have been stepping up as well whether it's Michael Porter Jr. can knock down outside shots Contavious Caldwell-Pope can do the same Aaron Gordon's been great defensively and you know they essentially blew out the Suns in game one yeah despite the Suns getting pretty good games from both Kevin Durant and Devin Booker so you know I expect the Suns to fight back in that series I think I picked the Suns to win that series in six games I could easily see it going seven but I Mm -hmm. I think it's far you know it's a far cry to say that whatever team wins the Lakers Warriors series goes on to represent the Western Conference in the NBA Finals because, you know, I think whoever comes out of that uh, Suns-Nuggets series will likely be the favorite in the next series in the Western Conference Finals. I agree. When I, when I, when I think about that Nuggets team specifically, I think that they, like, when you, you can poke holes in what these other teams have in the Western Conference. We talked about the inconsistency with the Lakers and with the Warriors, honestly. The Suns, I do think their depth issues are maybe a little bit overblown. I think they just haven't perfected their rotation because, you know, they only had Kevin Durant for eight games during the regular season. And it's hard to figure that out on the fly, especially in the postseason. Um, they factor in the injury to Cameron Payne earlier in the playoffs and things like that. They have guys that they just really need that fifth guy to step up. You know, they have the four stars. So um, when I look at that Nuggets team, they have a superstar. You mentioned and, and Nikola Jokic. You mentioned Jamal Murray, a guy who steps up when when the moment gets bigger. And, and their their team is built. Uh, you know, kind of to the strengths of their best players. Um, and you talk about the depth piece. They have guys who step up and, and play their role extremely well. Christian Brown's the only uh, rookie getting some real minutes in this postseason. So uh, I certainly think that them being without flaw doesn't mean that they are unbeatable, but I do think that that, that makes them 
a, a much tougher out. Um, so it'll be interesting to, to see and crazy to think that either the six or seven seed is going to be in the Western Conference Finals with a chance uh, to go to the NBA Finals represent the Western Conference, but it won't be easy. Uh, we'll talk more about this. going to take a really quick break, and then we will uh, hop back into the Eastern Conference because there's a lot to talk about over there. Some more upsets on that side of things and some history that was made since the last time we recorded. So quick break. We'll be right back. All right, so let's talk Eastern Conference. Um, last week, I mentioned some history has been made. For the sixth time in NBA history, a number eight seed has upset a number one seed in the first round, and it was pretty handily, too. I know Giannis's injury in game one put a cloud over the series a little bit, but the Heat lost Tyler Hero in game one as well, and I know he's no Giannis, but he's a key role in what they did, and they also lost Victor Oladipo again. Tyler Hero plus Victor Oladipo does not equate to Giannis Antetokounmpo, who did come back uh, later in the series, but to see what Jimmy Butler did uh, for that Heat team uh, to defeat the Bucks had 56 points in, in, a, in a virtuoso performance. Miami Heat playoff record uh, to win that game four, then go back and, and close out the the, the game tying shot and to, to force overtime, and then um, things just kind of fell apart for uh, the Bucks. Do you think that that playoff series win says more about the Heat? or the Bucks uh, that they were able to be upset like that? kind of feel like the reporter asked Russell Westbrook that question that they, they resulted in a meme, but still, what do you think? I would say that it says more about the Heat and just the fight they have and just how tough mm-hmm. playoff Jimmy really is. And, you know, that's a team that's beaten the Bucks in the playoffs before. So I don't think that yeah. they went into that moment scared. You know, I, Jason Tatum was the one that said it. He was, I don't see that as an upset. And mm-hmm. I honestly kind of agree with them. Like, obviously, it's an eight over one, and a lot of people were the Bucks picked the Bucks to win the NBA Finals, and they were, the, I think, <laughs> favorite to win the NBA Finals going yeah, into yeah. the playoffs. But you know, <clears throat> obviously, Giannis goes down, and that changes the course of everything. Right. And then he comes back, and he was so awesome when he came back. But you know, it throws the, the entire momentum of the series through a loop. And right. I think that right away, this, the Heat smelt blood in the water, and they already weren't afraid of the Bucks as it is. And you know. To say that I was surprised that the Heat went out and beat the Bucks, like I'm not going to pretend like I wasn't. It's right. not. I, it's yeah, not something yeah. I expected. But at the same time, you know, after it's all said and done, yes, I'm shocked they beat them in five games. But when you when push comes to shove, I mean, the Heat are just a tough playoff team that I don't think anybody wants to see in a playoff series. You said push comes to shove. I think that was in reference to Jimmy Butler's uh, game time shot and what he did to Pat Connaughton, which apparently, <laughs> according to the last two minute report, would have should have been a foul on Pat Connaughton, uh, insult to injury for that Bucks team. I think the the craziest thing about the the Heat is that they looked not ready in, in the play in tournament. They they lose in the first play in tournament game to the Hawks, um, who have the ability to go out and win a game. We saw they won two against the Celtics, but. I kind of started thinking that the Heat were going to just tank again, you know, in that second playing tournament game to the Bulls. Um, but they got it done. Um, and, and, and maybe they, they wanted that Bucks matchup. Maybe they knew it was a better matchup for them. I think the, I don't think that I never want to be put in the camp that the regular season is meaningless because I think there's a lot to be taken from the regular season and, and especially just playing in the regular season and getting accustomed to one another and learning habits and whatever. But I think it, it does show that this heat team throughout the year we kept saying we're they're going to figure it out they're going to get it together you know there was time where jimmy missed time there were bam missed time kyle lowry guys are in and out of lineup they never really were on the same page all year but they did show flashes of being 
the team that they were consistently in the first round, even through the injuries that they dealt with. Um, so, so I obviously surprised. I expected the, the Bucks to eventually figure it out. Even when they were down 3-1, I thought that Giannis was going to kind of just go into best player in the world mode and, and, and figure things out. But, you know, when you have a guy like Jimmy Butler, I think having the best player on the floor, because he was the best player on the floor, Giannis still the best player in the world, but Jimmy Butler was the best player on the floor. So when you have the best player on the floor, you always have a chance, and they, they surely did. Now, it sets up a date with the five-seed Knicks, who I think they're – a lot of us didn't recognize as being capable of what they're going to do. The injury to Julius Randle, uh, who sprained his ankle in the closeout game they had over the Cavs, looms large. And Jimmy Butler hurt his ankle in Game One of that series. But you know, going into it, it just really reminded me of the the Heat Knicks rivalry from the late '90s. We wrote about it over at the Sporting News. A lot of angles with that. And when they met in 2012, it didn't really feel like that. It was LeBron and Melo, and it wasn't really close. But this kind of feels like it has that feeling. The Heat stole Game One. Kevin Love. Uh, was getting his quarterback on. Jimmy Butler was being Jimmy Butler, though he got hurt late. Where do you think this series goes, the series that none of us saw coming, um, this Knicks team and the Heat in the second round? I think I, in my prediction, I took the Knicks to win the series in seven games, mm-hmm. but it became pretty evident that if Julius Randle can't get on the floor, the Knicks are going to have trouble because that takes yep. away their biggest advantage over the Heat. You know, the Heat can play when it's just Mitchell Robinson down there and, and you know, they're playing Obi Toppin, but you know, the, the Heat can play that small ball style that they like to play with Bam in the middle and then kind of just shooters around him. And, um, you know, Kevin Love obviously had a great game. Kyle Lowry had a, you know, this is why you brought me here type game in yep. game one as well. Yep. Um, but, you know, Julius Randle does so much offensively for the Knicks. And for him to be out of that lineup, uh, you know, I think that we saw just where their shortcomings are offensively. I mean, they're really relying on Jalen Brunson to get a lot of the work done on offense. You know, the, the Knicks shot terribly from three-point range in game one, and they're not necessarily a great three-point shooting team as it is. So, you know, I th- compared to the Heat, who have been firing away from three, and, you know, the Heat I have it in front of me, they went 13 for 39 in game one, which isn't exactly good. But right. at the same time, they they nearly doubled up the Knicks three-point uh, makes and you know I mean they got five for twelve from Gabe Vincent which I don't think they get every single game but I do think that there are you know multiple guys on this team that are capable of just stepping in and knocking down say five threes in a game whether that's Max Struess whether it's Duncan Robinson um, so you know the Heat kind of have an advantage over the Knicks now that Julius Randle's out of lineup I'm very curious to see how fast his ankle can heal and he can get back on the court and you know we still haven't heard anything from Jimmy Butler who was very much laboring at the end of that game, favoring mm. that injured that injured ankle. So, you know, I mean, obviously, if Jimmy Butler can't go, then it brings things back to an even playing field, and I would even give the Knicks an advantage. So, you know, whoever's ankle heals faster might determine who wins the series. The Jimmy Butler ankle watch has been fascinating. He sprained his ankle, right ankle, uh, late in, in fourth quarter. And as of today, we're taught, we're recording this Monday. I, I saw on Twitter people like, oh, Jimmy Butler is posted on Instagram walking through the streets of New York City. That ankle must be fine. So it, it seems like he's, he's, all, he's on track to, to play, um, throughout the series. And I feel like if we know anything about Jimmy Butler, he's not impacted, uh, uh by stuff like that or he won't let on like he is. I think the interesting thing you mentioned, the Heat's three point shooting. You know, they went from being a middle of the road, slightly below average three point shooting team during the regular season to a team that during the first round, they were the best three point shooting team in the league by percentage uh, points. And you talked about a Gabe Vincent and a Max Struess. Duncan Robinson even came in and knocked down a couple threes. Um, guys that are kind of just knowing their role and starring in it. And I think the interesting thing that I, when I look at this Heat team and people talk so much about Heat culture or what have you, um, it seems like they're treating every playoff game the way it's supposed to be treated as an individual entity and like how can we win each possession each segment of these games 
And ultimately, then you look back and it's like, oh, man, like they're here. You know, that that we talked about that that comeback. I mean, well, we talked about the closeout win against the Bucks. They were also down like 15, 16 in the fourth quarter of that game. They just chipped away. Um, and they did the same thing in that in the game where Jimmy Butler at 56. They were down. The Bucks kind of let them back in the game. So I think that that just speaks to to the way that team is built and the way they're approaching each and every game and really the 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 coaching uh, mastery of Eric Spolster, who gets his just do a lot, but we see it here. Um, going to be interesting to see where that series goes. I had the Heat, I mean, the Knicks winning that one in six games, but again, the Julius Randle uh, injury does loom large. Injury seems like it's been the theme uh, of this postseason, and Scott and I talked a little bit about it last week, um, but now as we get ready to go in to – uh, this series between the 76ers and Celtics didn't realize these two franchises have met more than any other uh, two franchises in the postseason. I think this is 22 uh, for these two teams this postseason. So a, a rivalry renewed once again. Joel Embiid out for at least the first game of the series with an LCL sprain. He suffered against the Nets in the first round. I think that that makes the margin of error razor thin for the 76ers team, but as we saw, the Celtics, who probably should have gotten the Hawks out of here in five games, it took them six games to do it. What are you thinking about that as far as the Celtics' tendency to maybe let off the gas a little bit? Do they know the stakes and realize they should take advantage of Joel Embiid's absence? Again, after you know using the term playing with their food in the first round with the Hawks and yeah. essentially buying Joel Embiid two extra days of rest, yep. uh, you know you would think that that would be kind of a lesson learned. But at the same time, mm-hmm. like we've seen with this team in the past, that's not always the case. They do have brain farts. They do have games where you know late in games they just kind of shut down and forget how to play and uh, almost go to like prevent offense and they stop trying to score, <laughs> which is what we saw uh, you know in Game Five against the Hawks. But yep. You know, without Joel Embiid on the floor, I think it it's less about the Celtics and more about how are the Sixers going to make up, you know, on top of his 34 points per game, how are they going to make up his impact in the front court? Because, yeah. you know, at times the Celtics were playing two bigs in the last series with Al Horford and Robert Williams. And, you know, the Celtics don't mind going smaller and, and playing Jason Tatum at the four and adding a guard like Derek White or Malcolm Brogdon into that starting lineup. Um, but, you know, or into that into that closing lineup. I'm sorry, um, but you know the the 76ers are going to have trouble matching up with the the Celtics bigs, and whether right. that's Paul Reed or that's PJ Tucker, potentially we see a little bit more Montrez Harrell in the series. Like those are not names that the 76ers or their fans would you know kind of hope they're counting on in a playoff series. So in terms of making up the scoring, it's going to have to be James Harden turning back the clock as a scorer. He's going to have to be a lot more aggressive offensively. I think the biggest X factor in this entire series for both teams is Tyrese Maxey. How Tyrese Maxey performs will determine, you know, just how competitive the 76ers are if Joel Embiid can't suit up. So, you know, like we've seen with Embiid in the playoffs before, and we've seen it in the past couple of years, he's always willing to play through pain. You know, he's played Mm -hmm. through what a sprained meniscus before a torn meniscus meniscus, uh, in the playoffs. Last year, he had that orbital fracture in his face and, and, a, and what, the thumb thing, thumb yep, and a thumb yep. injury. So, you know, he's he's definitely not afraid to play through pain and play through injury and put his entire body on the line to try and get the job done. So it would not shock me in the slightest, even with a serious LCL sprain in his knee, that if he still finds a way to suit up in the series. It's just what version of Joel Embiid are they going to get when he does get on the floor? Yeah, I think that the, the the sense of urgency, obviously, with with the the Sixers, you treat you know Joel Embiid is your max player, twenty nine years old. You're thinking twenty twenty three, but you're also thinking the next three to five years as well with him. Um, I think that they're going to come out with a high sense of urgency. I think it's important the Celtics do it as well because if somehow the the Sixers are to take Game One, then you can rest 
Joel Embiid in game two. So looking at that chess match and how that goes throughout the course of the series, and especially I think it's important because you're going to see these games, the, the series are tightened up. There's not going to be very much rest. Not not a far travel, not a far trip from, from Philly to Boston, but still, um, you know, the, the short layover between games is going to, you know, whatever it is, whenever Embiid is back playing in this series, um, you know, it, it's funny because it feels like it has been. Um, it's been so long since we watched the Sixers play because they took care of business and, and close out uh, the Nets. They struggled at, at times with the Nets. The Nets were just an annoying team to them, and they eventually were the better team that the Sixers were able to to win games late, even even in that game four without Joel Embiid. But it's very different. All due respect to Nick Claxton and the Knicks team, but it's going to be – I mean, the Nets team, excuse me. Um, but now dealing, like you said, with Al Horford and, and Robert Williams and, and Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown, all those guys, all that talent on the Celtics side, um, you know, that that margin of error that I mentioned, you're going to need uh, Tyrese Max to step up. And another name that I'm I'm watching, the guy who seems to kind of get a pass a lot. We didn't even mention Tobias Harris is a guy who you know is, is making big money from the Sixers team. He did score 25 points in that game for a closeout game. Um, it kind of feels like it's talked about when he does good things. When he doesn't do anything, it just doesn't get talked about. So I have an eye on him in this series. I think there'll be a, a bigger eye on him uh, with Joel Embiid's injury. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another player that I just want to throw his name into the ring too is Jalen McDaniels, who I think mm. is going to have to step up defensively and take on some right. tough assignments in the series, whether that's, you know, spending some time on Jason Tatum, spending some time mm. on Jalen Brown. I mean, it's not as much as, or it goes beyond the 76ers having to make up for Embiid's offensive impact. It's his defensive impact as well. And I think, you know, a combination of guys like Tobias Harris is going to have to step it up defensively. PJ Tucker is going to have to turn back the clock and be, you know, the defender, the pesky defender that the Celtics have played in the playoffs multiple times, whether that's against the Bucs or against the Heat. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so the 76ers, they, they got their work cut out for them. And I, I don't think that's a very hot take to say without the MVP in their lineup. But, you know, the Celtics do have a tendency of kind of letting off the gas when, opposing teams are missing their best players. So Mm -hmm. like you said, it is very important for them to take advantage of every single game that Joel Embiid misses. And I actually just saw a quote come across my timeline from Joe Missoula. His quote was, we have to win the not Embiid minutes, and that's whether it's five minutes or 48 minutes. And Mm -hmm. I I do think that that is going to be the theme of the first game of this series and potentially even the second if Embiid is out beyond that. Absolutely. You you mentioned Jalen McDaniels. That's why they brought him there you know I, th- I i like i like what he brings to the table having a chance to see him play a lot when he was in charlotte um you know being a consistent defender having a length um and being just a consistent guy that what he does well isn't going to be dependent from night to night like it's not a jumper it, whether it's not it's fallen effort stuff can he you know disrupt things and can he make life difficult for a team that has a lot of uh perimeter scoring and perimeter stars so that's definitely going to be interesting as we wrap up here we always do it time to give some shout outs Kyle, I'll let you uh, do it first, even though you already gave me a birthday shot, which I'm very appreciative of. Uh, but but shout outs around the league, something that maybe you you want to point out that we might not have talked about or people might not have their eye on. You know, I'm a little disappointed I didn't save the birthday shout out for this portion. Of the segment, <laughs> but, you know, hey, had to get it out of the way early. I uh, Since I don't know when I'll be back on Sound System next, I just want to raise some awareness that as of tomorrow or, or May 2nd, when this episode publishes, we will officially be two weeks away from the NBA draft lottery, which I feel like always falls into the background during the NBA Mm. playoffs. But this year, more so than really any year in NBA history, maybe, you know, the Zion Williamson draft lottery was a moment where right away we saw the way that the Pelicans, when they Mm -hmm. shockingly got the number one overall pick, the way that they're, it was what their ticket office or something like that. Like the way that everybody celebrated as if they had won the championship. Uh, You know, this is going to be, 
probably the biggest NBA draft lottery in history. Is that crazy mm-hmm. to say? With Victor Wembanyama coming into the fold, so you know, I just want people to be aware that the NBA draft lottery is coming up quick, and we're essentially going to find out which team Victor Wembanyama is going to land on in two weeks, and I'm super excited for that, as you know. Yeah, uh, on that note, we talked about the Rockets and, and Nima Udoka earlier. The Rockets, Pistons, and Spurs each have a 14% chance at landing that number one pick and right behind them. Hornets, 12.5%. Portland at 10.5%. It's going to be very interesting and fun uh, to see how that goes, Kyle. We'll definitely have you back on here post-lottery to uh, to figure out what to make of, of where he lands, what we think about the fit, what that means for the future. Because like you said, there are some teams in the lottery who could luck out. We've seen it in the past. And I won't say I won't go as far as to say that it swings the balance of the entire NBA, but it does change what we think about the next three to five years in the league as far as his development, what that team will do to build around him and how other teams are going to kind of plan around it to to play for that. Because I I do think, you know, and we'll talk in, in great depth about how good he can be right away, but he is a phenomenon quite unlike anything we've ever seen. We've hinted at it a little bit. I'll give my shout out to the Sacramento Kings and Mike Brown. Um, you know, what they did uh, to get uh, the, the in the playoff drought. They hadn't made the playoffs since 06. They finished, you know, third seed in the Western Conference. And a lot of people are saying what they did this year is reminiscent to what we saw the Warriors do, um, you know, almost a decade ago when they were able to, you know, really just show that they were up next, didn't even make it out of the first round. I think they lost to the Clippers in 2014. Um, but that next year they won a championship. Not saying the Kings are going to be a championship team next year by any means, but I do think that everything they did this season proved to be sustainable. De'Aaron Fox, DeMontis Sabonis, great duo. I think now um, it's not going to necessarily be the, the the New York or L.A. or Miami free agent destination, but now they've proven they can win. Their fans have shown out amazingly, and now it's going to be a place where guys want to go and play and go and win in front of a fan base like that and play with De'Aaron Fox and play with DeMontis Sabonis. And as they improve in the margins, I'm excited to see um, the Kings kind of stay back there and be that force that they kind of were in the late 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, that's a proper shout out. And I'm glad that you brought that up because, you know, obviously Stephen Curry going for 50 kind of overshadowed mm-hmm. anything that the Kings had done this season. But, you know, living on the West Coast, that's a team that I had kind of at the beginning of the year, it started as like a guilty pleasure watching them mm-hmm. on League Pass. And at first I was like, oh, this is like a really fun League Pass team. But then as you continue to watch them, you're like, OK, no, this is actually just a really good team in that's general. This team. isn't yeah. some like cute team that you can you know flip on in the background on NBA League Pass. Like this is a team that could actually win some games and make some noise. Uh, you know, in the in the standings this year, and, and every single time that people thought that they were going to fall off, they continue to rise up. You know, it hit the All Star break, and people, a lot of people, were saying, "Oh, the Kings will fall off eventually. Are they going to be a playing team? Are they going to?" No, they just continue to rise up the standings. They finished third in the West, and I think they showed everybody, like you said, that they are not only an actual threat moving forward because of how young this core is and how young this team is, but I also think that they proved it's a destination that, like you said, people are going to want to go and play there because this is a team that plays for each other. It's not, you know, even their stars are not very selfish players. DeMont Sabonis, incredible mm-hmm. passer. De'Aaron Fox proved so many people wrong this year in, in turning into the clutch player of the year and a very deserving clutch player of the year. So the Kings are one of my favorite teams to watch all season. I'm glad you gave them a hat tip. Uh, you know, what a fun season it was for Sacramento. And I'm excited for them to light the beam again next year. 
Absolutely. I think, again, like nothing to hold your head over. Obviously, I'm sure they wanted to make it out of the first round, but to lose to the defending champs and, you know, again, having an all time great go all time great mode on you is nothing to hang your heads over. And I'm excited to see how they bounce back from this because we've seen teams and and I mentioned this last week and I'm kind of surprised the series went the way I said it was going to go. Um, But, you know, you have 2014 Warriors who used that first round heartbreak to just build a dynasty you had the 08 hornets who lost to the defending champs in the first round they lost to the spurs in game seven at home after having a crazy season and things kind of went on, on a downward turn so you know there's a cautionary version and there's an exciting version of it and i think the kings are, are are much more on that side of what the warriors were able to do and being a, a a perennial power in the western conference you mentioned it already a lot of key dates coming up uh in the league lottery on the 16th around that same time, the conference finals are going to begin in June 1st. The NBA finals are going to begin. And for East coasters like myself, they've moved the, uh, the, the tip off times up 30 minutes this year. So I'm excited about that. No, no more 9 PM tips in the NBA finals, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. There's plenty more to talk about uh, around the league and you can keep it locked in with us over at the sporting news and here on NBA sound system through the NBA finals and a lot of NBA draft stuff this year as well. Cause like Kyle said, it's going to be a, uh, one of the biggest NBA drafts in recent memory, if not the biggest ever. So keep it locked in with us for that. Thanks again for tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe to NBA Sound System wherever you get your podcast. The support is greatly appreciated. For Kyle Irving, I am Gil McGregor reminding you to tune into NBA Sound System this time next week. We will catch you then to talk more NBA playoffs.